0: Welcome to the Michigan Out of Doors Podcast, the voice of conservation brought to you by Michigan United Conservation Clubs. The Michigan Out of Doors Podcast is brought to you by our partners at Michigan Oil and Gas Association and the Michigan Department of Natural Resources Wildlife Habitat Grants, which funds our on-the-ground program to improve public land wildlife habitat. Sign up for a project near you at www.mucc.org slash on-the-ground. All right, welcome back to the Michigan Out of Doors podcast. It is 2016 now, Logan. It
1: is, yep.
0: All right, so we are in the studio today. I am Drew Young Dyke with Michigan Out of Doors, and we have Logan Schultz.
1: Also with Michigan Out of
0: Doors. And Michigan United Conservation Clubs, and Deer Michigan, and all that good stuff. Yep. So, it's been a while since our last podcast. This is our first one of the new year, so we have a lot to cover. Um, first of all, what have you been up to this year so far, Logan? Uh,
1: you know, just doing my part to uh, protect public lands in a really glorious fashion by migrating databases and fixing computers and whatnot. You know, the typical things you think of when you think, how am I going to protect public land today?
0: So, like, your company's computer guy type of stuff? Yep. Yep. Well, you know every company needs a computer, yeah.
1: Yep, yep, and uh, building nations, building nations. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yep, every company does, and uh, I'm just lucky enough to do it all in the cause of conservation.
0: Awesome. You've been outside at all? No. No predator hunting or anything not, like that. Not this year. Not yet. All
1: right. I went pheasant hunting at the end of last year, but that was that was 2015. Okay. We're, okay. We're moving forward here. Was
0: that over uh, Christmas break though? Yeah. All right. Yep. Get anything? Yeah, we shot at a few. So, it was kind of like your bear hunting experience then. You shot uh, at a few.
1: Yeah, we shot at a few. know, I <laughs> shot a few. I actually harvested a few this time. Nice. So, it was much better than my bear hunting experience. Yeah. Very good.
0: So, luckily, I know nothing about the back-end computer stuff.
1: No, it's not your job. You don't need to.
0: Right. So... I had to go to the Archery Trade Association show. Yeah, I had so, to.
1: You know, we all make our sacrifices for for conservation.
0: Yeah. You know, so while you were having fun working on the back end of, of, of our website and mm. migrating databases and, and living it up doing that, <laughs> yep. I, I had to go to Louisville yep. and see all the coolest new bow hunting products. Yep and basically meet all of the people who run all the podcasts that we listen to. Right. Which was pretty awesome. Yeah, any, uh, anybody stand out? You know, there were a few that stand out, and yeah. funny you should mention that. So um, you get a chance to talk to them? Oh, sure. Oh, so right first of all, i got to give a shout-out to the, the folks that we met there that, that host what I think are, are the best podcasts out there. Um so we've got Mark Kenyon with Wired, Wired to Hunt, the Wired to Hunt Podcast. Um had a great chat with him down there. Um, Matt Will Brantley of The Natural Born Hunter. Yep, I listened uh, to
1: that one. Yep.
0: And then uh Phil Mendoza who both co hosts that and also has championship bow hunting. Yeah. Um and I and I didn't know about the championship bow hunting podcast before that. Um but
1: you know about it
0: now. I know about it now. It's great. It's a bunch of 10-minute clips of how to tune your bows, uh, great stuff like that. Um, then I met the guys with the Gritty Bowman podcast, um, which is Brian Call and Aaron Snyder, who are kind of legends in the Western backcountry bow hunting. Um, and then there was another podcast I didn't even know about then that now I know about called the Hunt Backcountry podcast. And this is the guys that make Exo Mountain Packs. Um so I met those guys out with having dinner with the backcountry hunters and anglers. So we were all talking about how are we protecting public lands and how do we do that both across the country and at the state level.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh hey, still didn't turn off your ringtone for this one, huh?
0: Yeah, you know, New Year, same stuff.
1: Yep, same stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um but what a lot of us one of the cool things a lot of us did is we went and worked out the Wednesday morning of the ATA show with probably the the person who really started the hunting athlete movement, which is Cam Haynes.
1: Oh, really? You yeah. You have to but, work out with him.
0: Yeah, it was awesome. We went cool. to a CrossFit uh, box, first time I've ever done CrossFit. Um, Dan Stanton, who runs the Elk Shape website, kind of let us in, I guess it'd be a... a crossfit class that he teaches for basically backcountry bow hunters to get in shape for hunting season
1: right on.
0: um so it was it was really neat i mean these these are the guys that basically are leading the, the hunter athlete movement um it's something i am trying to get into um long way to go working out with those guys you realize just how far you have to go um but it's cool seeing what they do to get in shape for hunting Mm-hmm. Um, and if it works for them out west, you know it's going to work for us here in Michigan when you don't have near the mountains to climb.
1: No, not at all. No elevation changes. Well, not much. Not like they face out there when they head into the backcountry.
0: Right. But the other cool thing that was really neat about the Archery Trade Association show was seeing just how much um, Michigan companies have influenced the archery business. Mm-hmm. So everybody thinks about Fred Bear, but you know we've also got like Scentlock and Darton and um, boning archery uh, G5 uh, quickie quivers I um, actually got to test out a quickie quiver um, new kind of a light air quiver that they're coming out with that, that was pretty great a couple weeks ago um, so it's really neat to see how at the forefront Michigan based archery companies are of the entire industry so that was the fun stuff you know what else is fun?
1: Uh, public land
0: Public land is is fun, and we're going to get to that. Oh, okay. In the meantime, what's really fun is the Bipartisan Sportsman's Act of ah, 2015. Yes. That is fun. So the reason that the Bipartisan Sportsmen's Act is fun is just last week, there was an amendment made to that, that federal bill in the Senate that includes delisting wolves in Michigan, in Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Wyoming. Yep. And the reason that this is cool is this is a, a bill that's come up a few times and it always kind of stopped in the Senate. Right. Now it actually has a great chance to move. Um, the Bipartisan Sportsmen's Act is more than just that delisting. It also basically means that federal land, other than like national parks, is open unless specifically posted close to hunting. Mm-hmm. So it enhances public hunting access, uh, permanently reauthorizes the Land and Water Conservation Fund, um, and it's got a whole host of other provisions, but those are kind of the most important ones is preserving that public um, hunting and fishing land access. Mm-hmm. And then for our purposes here in Michigan now, it also includes that federal delisting that, that we've been trying to get for now a year after it got put back on the list by, by a federal judge. Right. So the very first thing that you should do is put this podcast on pause. So if you're listening to this podcast, that's a great thing about a podcast. It's not live. You can pause it right now. Call your U.S. Senators, Debbie Stabenow mm-hmm. and Gary Peters, and tell them to pass the Bipartisan Sportsman's Act. That's going to be so important because now that the wolf listing is included in this, you know that the anti-hunters are going to be flooding their offices with phone calls. Yeah. Um, So we don't know when it's going to go before the full Senate. It's now passed that that Senate subcommittee, so it will be going before the full Senate, and it's going to need every vote that it can get. And because the anti-hunters are going to be flooding their offices with phone calls, you need to be flooding their offices with phone calls in support of the Bipartisan Sportsman's Act. So once again, we're going to pause this right now. You're going to pause this, make the phone call. Once you make that phone call, then you can come back and replay and listen to the rest of this podcast. Okay, so we're back. I assume that now you have made that call mm-hmm. to Senator Sabanow and Senator Peters, asking them to pass a bipartisan Sportsman's Act. You know, one of the other provisions that I mentioned this is important to that bipartisan Sportsmen's Act is a public access for hunting and fishing on federal lands, and federal lands, um, particularly public lands and, and access to them, has been huge in the news lately. Um, Logan, you heard about what's going on out in Oregon? Uh
1: yes, yes I have heard about it. Yeah, I that, think I think you've written about it too.
0: A little bit that your people?
1: I <laughs> I don't know what you mean by my people, uh but no, my people are not out-of-state individuals who insert themselves into problems they didn't need to be involved in and uh take public land and public property as hostage to do that. So, I would say no. Those are not my
0: people. <laughs> well put. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what we're talking about is out in Oregon, the Bundy takeover of the Melher. Is that how you pronounce it? Melher? I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. I've read about it. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> the Melher Wildlife Refuge. Right. So, basically, what happened was these guys were protesting a rancher that got resentenced under minimum sentencing guidelines for setting arson to public federal land allegedly to cover up poaching. So they were protesting these guys at Hammonds who had been sentenced but they had been sentenced for less than the minimum sentencing standards that that they have for, for arson basically out there. Right. So the prosecutor appealed the sentence and said no you have to sentence them for the minimum sentencing guidelines so they brought him back. That's kind of background to this but that's really kind of a red herring for what these, you know, whether you call them armed protesters or how would even say domestic terrorists, if you take public land hostage and have a list of demands before you will leave it while armed
1: I think that's getting pretty loosey-goosey with the term terrorism, personally, but
0: Really? You're, you're taking over government property yeah. by force of arms, yeah, and you have a list of demands that will be met before you will, will leave.
1: Kidnapping, maybe ransom, all those things.
0: I don't know. I, to me, that's specifically holding public land hostage.
1: Yeah, it, it it is doing that. Yes.
0: Yeah, or you could call them. I and I I just wrote a blog about this on the Wired to Hunt blog, and we talked about that Mark Kenyon's podcast blog um, at Wired to Hunt com. Um, I would also call them gullible pawns. Pawns for who? Pawns for. Politicians who are trying to sell public lands. So here's the back- background of this. These guys basically went to say that they're protesting this one guy. Yep. And then they all ran and took over this unoccupied at the time because it was a weekend. Right. Federal re- uh, refuge office. They said they wanted to take the land back.
1: And they weren't invited by the Hammonds. No.
0: It, yeah. The the people that they were supposedly protesting in favor of have denounced these guys right. to begin with. Right. Um, but there's, they're saying they want to take the land back. This has been federal land since 1908, designated by Theodore Roosevelt. It's a critical waterfowl area. It's actually open to hunting. You know, at, at, it's, it's wildlife habitat. It's federal public land. It's a wildlife refuge that you can hunt. This is a place where people hunt and fish. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're basically saying that they want to take it back, but just for like industrial development, like ranching, timber, mining, which you can do on public lands you can do on federal lands there's just certain places you can do them certain places that you can't well basically what these guys are doing is throwing a temper tantrum and what i said it's like that kid in basketball when you're younger um you know you're playing hoops and one kid gets a foul called on him and he throws a temper tantrum and is like i'm gonna take my ball and go home Mm -hmm. except that it's not his ball and and that's kind of what we're doing here these people have been told well you can't do whatever you want, wherever you want, however you want, on public lands. So they're basically saying, well, if I can't do whatever I want, whenever I want, wherever I want, however I want, then we should just sell public lands. It's like, I want to take my ball and go home. We yeah. should say, it's not your ball, dude.
1: Right. It, it's it's not their ball. I I mean, there's not a lot of support for these individuals out there, period. No. And, you know, they're doing a good job of, of getting on the news, I suppose, but, you know, it is an armed protest. Uh, you know, I, I, would, I don't know if I'd personally call it domestic terrorism, but there's nothing they're doing here that's agreeable. They don't have any sort of moral high ground. I understand they have some some issues with BLM and everything, but you don't drive up to another state and take federal property, you know, not, not even federal property, public land hostage, to address the grievances you have in Nevada.
0: And... In, in this is not to say that, like, land managers always do the right thing. No. You know, agencies make a bad call sometimes. They absolutely do. You yeah. know what? When you're playing basketball, referees make a bad call sometimes. And there's a... Yeah. You know,
1: the, the federal government's not infallible, like you say, and there's, there's a lot of people who know that, and there's, you know, when you say people like me, or my people, you know, how you started this conversation. Obviously, I'm the, the token conservative in the office here. The token far-right conservative. And, uh... <laughs> You know, I, I don't side with the federal government on much, that's for sure. But uh, not not in this case. Not in this case. I, I don't like the whole situation. I'd well, like, I'd and, like to see it come to a.
0: And what, a what they're basically folklore. saying is like, all right, so I don't like what this federal agency has done in so Nevada. Right, or wherever. It doesn't mean it could, could even be in Oregon. So what they're saying is because I don't like the rules that they've set out on this public land. We should just sell it off. shouldn't be public anymore.
1: Well, that's, that's
0: you know, that's dumb. It's like cutting off your nose to spite your face.
1: That's dumb. They don't have much support amongst politicians either from what I've seen. What? That junior senator from Utah or wherever.
0: Well, and that's uh, Rob Bishop, the congressman no, from, from Utah. Yeah. Yep. But, but here's the thing. Whether they support these guys' tactics or not, there's too many politicians out there that support that mindset of, well, if I can't do whatever I want, then we should just sell it because right. we we see that here in Michigan we're always playing whack-a-mole with like bills that keep getting introduced that try by like death like a thousand cuts to force a dnr to have to sell land um you know so it might not be like an armed protest like these guys are doing out there mm-hmm. but it's the same mindset it's it's the same it's the same goal of basically selling off public lands and if I can't do whatever i want or if you know my buddies in industry can't do whatever they they want wherever they want then we should just sell it to them and then the public can't go there and hunt and fish on it
1: right and that you know it is a federal issue and that that makes uh you know this upcoming presidential election all that all that much more important so make sure you do your research on who you're voting for
0: So I know you're just baiting me with that one. I am, and we'll we'll talk about it because you got to realize with Michigan United Conservation Clubs, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. We cannot tell you who to vote for. No, and we're not even going to intimate it. No, but I think something that made news is not about like this is a person to vote for or not one way or the other. But it was surprising to me, I think, to see Donald Trump come out at the shop at the shot show and say, "Yeah, I support public lands. We should keep those public." Um, Just because. It was kind of a surprising thing. I did not expect him to say that. But it turns out that his sons are actually really avid yeah, backcountry bow hunters. Both of them, yeah. You know, these guys are serious bow hunters. Um, I think they said like, you know, this isn't like a weekend war anything, this is what we do. Yeah. Um really. so, yeah. you know, it's encouraging to see, regardless of his positions on other issues, and I'm not even going to get into that, no, but no. on the public land piece, it's interesting to see that this candidate who has expressed support for public lands pretty much simply because his sons are bow hunters. So I think that speaks to something regardless of, of presidential politics. that speaks to something about when you hunt the land, you know when you, when you fish the land, when you engage with the land, when you're out there using public land, you gain an, appreci- an appreciation for it that somebody just you know sitting at a desk in Washington or in Lansing, isn't going to get when they're not out there with it.
1: Right, when they're never out there. And I'm sure there's plenty of other candidates running, and you know, both parties that support public land, but that's just the one that was in the news this past
0: Right, he was specifically asked right, about it. Right. Right. Um, so, something else that has to do with public lands here in Michigan is actually the 40th anniversary of the Michigan Natural Resources Trust Fund. Mm hmm. Um, So the Michigan Natural Resources Trust Fund was originally enacted in 1976. Um, It was called the the Kammer Land Trust Bill. It was enacted by uh, State Senator Kerry Kammer. Um, And it really came together as a compromise between the oil and gas industry and and, conservationists. Um, There was a a big controversy over um, oil and gas development. You know where that was?
1: Uh I've got a pretty good guess where that was.
0: Let's see what what's our uh, time in right now? I don't know. We're about 18 minutes.
1: Uh, won't break any records,
0: but it's about mm-hmm. average. All right. So the oil and gas controversy in 19 in the 1970s was in the Pigeon River country. Shocking. There it is. Yep. Um what they were arguing over is whether or not they should be able to drill there and what the compromise came was you can do some limited drilling in part of the forest, not but not in the northern part of the forest. But MUCC actually backed a resolution and a proposal to say, okay, if we're going to drill for oil and gas anywhere in the Pigeon River country, what we should be doing is taking the proceeds or a portion of those proceeds and using to invest those in more public land and more public land access. And originally the proposal was just to do that as more land in the Pigeon River country. Mm -hmm. Then Governor Milliken got on board with Senator Kammer um, and his staffer, Bob Garner, who many of you know from the Michigan Out of Doors TV show for a long time, um, was his lead staffer on this. They came up with the idea, well, let's let's do this statewide. So if we're developing oil and gas resources that are owned by the state of Michigan, let's take a portion of those resources and invest them in public outdoor recreation land statewide. So they enacted the, the Camer Land Trust Fund Act in 1976, um, we then put it into the Michigan Constitution in 1984 to protect it from legislative raids. And now this year, along with our partners with the Michigan Oil and Gas Association, we're celebrating the 40th anniversary of this fund that invests anywhere from 20 to 30 million dollars into the state every year in either acquiring public recreation land or developing infrastructure on, like, parkland and. For, right. for outdoor recreation. So right. that's pretty exciting. Um, I think it's something that everybody ought to know about because yeah. a lot of these places that you might go to, you might not even realize that that's only there because of oil and gas development through the Natural Resources Trust Fund.
1: It's not something you usually you know, connect oil and gas to me enjoying this great public outdoor land, but you know that's how it came to be, and it's something more people should know about.
0: Right, and, and it's something that's governed by rules. There's places you can do it. There's places you can mm-hmm. We We basically sat down, had some legal battles, but sat down and worked out a compromise. We're, you know, we take oil and gas resources and we put them into more public land. And that's the way that that management process can work. It's the same concept that's with the Federal Land and Water Conservation Fund that some of these yahoos that are trying to sell off public land and federal public land Mm -hmm. keep opposing. So, you know, having public land does not mean that you can't, develop natural resources in fact a lot of times it means that you have a more stable source and supply and to deal with with developing natural resources but basically you're getting like a fringe minority of folks who want to do more than they're allowed to want to go outside of those rules that everybody's negotiating worked out Mm -hmm. and because they can't get their way they're like well we should just sell it so I could go on about public land for forever obviously oh yeah um but we don't have forever. Um, but there is something that I want to ask you about, Logan, because this just came out uh, yesterday. Okay. Um, and we've been working with the bear hunters on this. The, the bear hunting associations and organized bear hunters of Michigan are going to the DNR and asking them to ban the use of chocolate in bear baits. Yeah. And I think this is really remarkable. Um, it shouldn't be considered remarkable but i think most kind of of the general public wouldn't realize this that it's the bear hunters themselves going to the DNR saying hey i want you to restrict what we can do because we know that that it could have negative impacts on wildlife
1: right there's i mean there's nobody who cares more about the bear population than bear hunters right and the DNR does you know a good job of managing them and everything but bear hunters are in the woods more they see the bears more they interact with them more so they're usually a pretty good barometer of the health of the bears and uh yeah this is just one example of that
0: yeah so out in new hampshire there were some bears that died after eating like a 90 pound bait pile that contained a lot of chocolate in it right and chocolate contains an ingredient that in large enough quantities or high enough percentages can be toxic to, like, bears and, you know, dogs. That's why you don't let your dog have chocolate. It's the same type of thing.
1: It's the exact same thing. Yep. You don't feed your dog chocolate, and bears have the same problem digesting, I forget the name of that chemical. It's like
0: therobromine. I can't pronounce it. Right. Yeah.
1: But it's the same one that that your dog can't digest either.
0: Right. And so in New Hampshire, there were some bears that died because they ingested too much of it. Right. And so the bear hunting organizations in Michigan, which include the Michigan Hunting Dog Federation, the Michigan Bear Hunters Association, UP Bear Houndsmen, um, which are all MUCC affiliates, kind of got together on their own and said, Hey, you know, let's let's not allow this to happen in Michigan, let's be proactive. Um, Mike Thorman had a great quote. Um, he's with the Michigan Hunting Dog Federation. He said, Hey, it's it's up to us as hunters to take care of the wildlife, you know, and we take that pretty seriously. Right. So I I think this is pretty cool that that the bear hunters themselves are saying, Hey, we wanna Ban this. We want to make sure that we're not having unintended impacts on non-target wildlife through this. What about you? So, like, when you so you're not usually hunting over bait. You're usually hunting out with with your hounds.
1: No, but we use bait to start. But you start them on right, bait. Right, Okay.
0: So, how does that work? Like, how would you get? Like, in what situations would? you otherwise like use chocolate or not use chocolate? How does that get in baits?
1: Well, we don't use, you know, personally, and I can only speak to the the group I hunt with here. We don't use uh, pretty much any chocolate. There's, you know, a little chocolate and trail mix and stuff, but that's not the amounts we're talking about here. Um, We've moved on to other things because you have the possibility, and it doesn't happen to us very often with GPS collars and whatnot, but you could have a dog come back to the bait pile, eat a bunch of bait. You know, it's happened, so we don't use chocolate. There's plenty of other materials out there that, um, you know, we prefer good, sweet-smelling stuff or salty stuff, whatever. There's plenty of other options. We don't use chocolate. But from what I understand, the, uh, in New Hampshire, they found these four dead bears keeled over near a bait pile, which means they had to just gorge themselves, and the amount of chocolate there must have been pretty significant. And that may be happening in Michigan where hunters are using maybe smaller amounts of chocolate or whatever and bear wanders out in the woods after eating a smaller amount and and keels over. And I think that's why uh, these several organizations came together to petition the DNR to do this.
0: Yeah, and I don't know that that's that they have like evidence that it's like, happened off in, in right, Michigan. But it, but it could. Why not take steps? Yeah, and, and that's that. the thing. It's yep. it's not something that's currently like a major issue in Michigan. Nope. It's it's these bear hunting organizations saying, let's get ahead of this and make sure it doesn't become an issue in Michigan. Yep, exactly. And I think uh, Tim Dusterwinkle, who's the president of the Michigan Bear Hunters Association, had, had a great quote. He said, look, this is what we talk about when we talk about sound science, mm-hmm. is taking a look at the percentages, the science using that to inform our management decisions about, you know, how we can and can't hunt wildlife.
1: Just logically, why would you want to bait the animal you're hunting with something that could poison them? Right. I mean...
0: And there's probably a lot of guys that don't know that, but now that you have a regulation out there, we're getting this out in the press, people just be aware of it. And the regulation cycle won't come up for bear hunting until 2017. So until then... We're just encouraging, like, our members of Michigan United Conservation right. Clubs just refrain from using chocolate until that becomes a regulation. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another thing that you can do out on public land, going back to that, though, uh-huh. is volunteering for wildlife habitat on public land. Yep. Um, so this weekend, uh, Top, our awesome wildlife habitat volunteer coordinator, Um, is hosting a wildlife habitat project up in the Grayling State Forest. Um, Gary Roloff's going to be up there. He's a MSU wildlife professor. Uh, Dr. Gary Roloff, I should say. So last winter, Dr. Roloff um, actually authored a study on snowshoe hare habitat requirements. And basically what his study found was what a lot of hunters may know, but it's always great to get that scientific backup on it, that they like kind of sparse overhead cover so like when trees are falling over not in one big pile but kind of laid out like spaced out from each other and what that gives them is protection from like predators above or at least that feeling of protection where they feel like going out so where you have kind of you know fallen trees and deadfalls and that kind of stuff kind of spaced out that's great habitat for them when the trees stay alive a little bit like when they're hinge cut means that that's food down there close for them. Mm-hmm. Um so we've done this the last couple years and Gary Roloff's going to be out there with us this time and with volunteers we're going to go out and hinge cut trees in the Grayling State Forest to create that snowshoe hare habitat that that he wrote about in his MSU study. So here's another example of taking literally sound science and then going out with volunteers and applying that on the ground to improve wildlife habitat for the species that we hunt. Right. Um, So that program is funded by the Department of Natural Resources Wildlife Habitat Grants, and you can sign up to volunteer for that at www.mucc.org slash on the ground. So this is, uh, as we mentioned, our our first episode of 2016. Um, What we're going to do going throughout 2016 is a little bit different schedule than we did last year. Last year we were trying to keep up with one episode per week and then when hunting season came around uh, we missed a few Um, but what we're going to do for 2016 is try to do like an every other week schedule Um, so you're having one this week you won't have one next week you'll have one the the week after Um, coming up in February we have our MUCC regional meetings Mm -hmm. Um, you can find out the schedule for those at MUCC.org but these regional meetings are where we 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 go around the state, and our members from all over the state and our clubs bring forward their policy resolutions that they want MUCC to take action on. Right. This is how we decide our policy, um, and these meetings will be going on around the state. If you have an idea that you'd like to see to be the next regulation, like these bear hunters are doing with the chocolate ban, um, this is a place to bring those. So go to mucc.org. Uh, to check out when you're going to have one of those, you have to be an MUCC member to bring forward a resolution. But any MUCC member can bring forward a resolution. Yep,
1: and uh, <clears throat> I think we got a few shows coming up too, don't
0: we? Yeah, we've got boy a bunch of them. We've got the Lansing Deer and Turkey Expo. We have Outdoor Rama, produced by Showspan, mm-hmm. um, a great partner of, of ours, um, and those are coming up towards the end of February. Mm-hmm. Um, so, those are coming up pretty soon. Well, we'll talk about those in a little bit more detail on the next podcast. Yep. So, this has been the Michigan Out of Doors podcast. Keep tuning in. We have big news and some exciting things coming forward this year for Michigan Out of Doors. So, um, keep tuning into the podcast to find out uh, what those will be. And we will see you in two weeks.
1: Thank you for listening to another edition of Michigan Out of Doors Podcast. Defend your rights to hunt, fish, and trap by joining MUCC at MUCC.org.